0: Bibles to the book of Psalms. We are continuing in our sermon series, Scale the Mountain, Worshiping God from the Songs of His People. We're going to be in Psalm 136 this morning. We are uh, getting close to finishing up this sermon series in the Psalms. Uh, Next week, uh, actually, uh, next week, Rome Herbert, uh, City Hope favorite, will be back preaching uh, next Sunday for us. Uh, and then uh, following that, we'll be in a couple more Psalms uh, and nearing the end of that. And then we actually are going to start in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to start a, a sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians after uh, we finish up the Psalms uh, to wrestle through uh, that book together. Uh, so just a preview of where we're going, but this morning we are continuing in Psalm 136, which was our call to worship. The beginning part of that psalm was our call to worship this morning, uh, and is a psalm, as you can recognize, has a lot of repetition in it, right? As you were responding uh, as we read through it, this is a psalm that has a lot of repetition in it. And, and this repetition is very helpful because we are hit with repetition all the time in the world around us. What are the things that you feel that you're being hit with all the time in the world around us right now? How do you feel about the constant, uh, the seemingly constant uh, influx of information upon us that seems to be largely negative? We have war in various places throughout the world. Violence. Violence. various places, even in our own city. Tragedy. Right now, I think, right? 2024 is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's an election year in our country, right? You're starting to feel the repetition of that probably, right? Being inundated all the time with more and more information. Politics. Along with that comes... Uh, attack ads and scandals and uh, things that uh, you need to know about this thing so that you don't vote for these people, right? And a lot of intensity. Corruption. Not just in the world broadly, but what about the church? The church continues to wrestle through various scandals and corruption. Corruption in our country, and it can lead to disillusionment as you hear over and over again. Or the economy continuing to struggle as inflation rises and, and continuing to figure out what, 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 where do I fit in this sp- space and will that ever end? Is there any going back to any thriving? And then we talk about various cultural issues going on The rise of secularism in our culture and ideological fights and differences of opinions that become uh, litmus tests for whether or not you're a good person or a person at all, or, right? Like these very intense things. Continued injustice that we experience. And that's all just outside of our own lives. And then when we get a little closer, To our own lives, we deal with difficulty and pain, loneliness, struggling with work, struggling with relationships, struggling with sin, struggling with feeling distant from God. All of these things. What are we going to do in light of all of these things? I think oftentimes, we have the same response that we do to lots of things. We have a... Response of fights, flights, or something else. Some of us respond with fights. And that fights can come at at the cultural level in fighting culture wars or or seeking to win political battles or, or seeking to do any of those things. Or it can come in our own personal life that we take this mentality that I will overcome. I will be the one to survive. Some of us take a path of flight. There's kind of a couple of ways of doing that for the church. One is a, a sort of embracing a sort of sentimental Christianity, right? Which is whatever verse can fit nicely on a coffee cup, that's the one I'll talk about and look at, and that's the only thing we'll do. We'll just smile and come to church and do our thing and not talk about any of these hard things that are going around, right? We'll just be like that meme of uh, the place on fire and just drinking your coffee, Right? Everything's great. Look, everything's awesome. No no worries. Or we just run away. We f- we're fearful and so we don't engage. We avoid hard stuff. Maybe that's through just the darkness of not engaging in things, or maybe that's through numbing ourselves with entertainment or anything else that we can get to to not have to engage. Or there's this other space in which we Flee. And it's uh, continuing to engage, kind of, but it's really just fleeing with a cynical attitude. We lose trust that anything could possibly change. We distrust everyone's motives. Everyone is, is uh, self-interested only, and so we embrace this cynicism that is kind of pervading our whole culture, and we just continue to dig into it. And allows us to flee from really engaging in things. Well, I want to offer to us another path, and that's the path of faithfulness. Not fleeing or fighting, but being faithful. Faithful to the Word of God and faithful to loving God and neighbor, but faithful in the midst of hard, painful, and confusing things. Right? Faithfulness doesn't mean that the, our circumstances change it means our heart posture changes in the midst of hard things. Now, I think in, in, the, in the list of things that I was talking about in terms of fighting or fleeing and uh, the, the sentimental Christianity or the fearful running away, I actually think the thing that maybe we as a people, this City Hope, us particular, are most prone to is cynicism. Now, now this could just be because I've been spending some time thinking about my own heart, <laughs> right? It could just be that, or it just could be all of us together. So, so whether, in case you're not there this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit will do something. But I'm hoping the Holy Spirit's going to do something on my heart. So I'm just going to talk about my heart to, this morning, okay? And I feel very prone to cynicism. I feel very prone to cynicism. I think we are particularly prone to it because we continue and from our existence as a church, to talk about injustice that's very real and seek to fight it, and it often feels like it doesn't change. It feels like you can do all the right things and nothing changes. And it can make you very cynical. Mm -hmm. I think also, we as a church and individuals are experiencing a lot of pain currently. Lots of people in our church are experiencing really, really hard things. We talked about this at our New Year's Eve service, right? Our testimony service where we just kind of shared, like I think a lot of us are in really hard places. That combined with sort of the cultural air that we breathe that really encourages cynicism means that we are prone to distrust motives. Particularly when it feels like people often give us reason to distrust motives. Uh That things get exposed and we're like, oh man, see? I shouldn't have trusted. But I think that constant feeling of confirming those things does something to our heart. I think that cynicism makes the pain of our lives and the pain of our current cultural moment and the brokenness of the world around us I think it actually heightens that pain. I don't think it actually does anything to, to medicate that pain, which is what we try and use it for, but I don't think it actually addresses it. I think it keeps us in heightened pain. So how are we going to address this? Well, I want to offer to us this morning, from Psalm 136, that we address this with weekly worship. And by weekly, I mean weekly in two ways. Normally, I make spelling mistakes on my slides, but this is intentional, guys. (laughs) Weekly spelled two different ways. That actually, we need both a regular rhythm of worship and we need to embrace our own weakness in the midst of worship. That we need weak, regular worship, we need weekly worship. And so we're going to look at Psalm 136 here this morning to see what this psalm has to say for us. Now, as you've already seen, Psalm 136 repeats quite a lot. And so I'm going to have us read this responsively again, mainly so I can save my voice. So you're just going to say his faithful love endures forever. I don't have it all listed out, but I think we can handle that, right? You guys can handle that line. You want to practice once or are we good? We good? All right. Right? We can do His faithful love endures forever. Okay, so I'll read through this, and, and let's just respond with His faithful love endures forever as we get this. And, and part of it is, as we've done throughout the psalm series, like it's really important that we hear one another say this over and over again. Okay, so let's read this psalm together. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. Faithful love forever. Give thanks to Him who alone does mighty miracles. Love Give thanks to Him who made the heavens so skillfully. Faithful love forever. Give thanks to Him who placed the earth among the waters. Love Give thanks to Him who made the heavenly lights. The sun to rule the day. Faithful the and the moon and stars to rule the night. Faithful the Give thanks to Him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. Faithful he brought Israel out of Egypt. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. Give thanks to Him who parted the Red Sea. He led Israel safely through. But He hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Give thanks to Him who led His people through the wilderness. Give thanks to Him who struck down mighty kings. He killed powerful kings. Sihon, king of the Ammonites, and Og, king of Bashan. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance, a special possession to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our weakness. He saved us from our enemies. He gives food to every living thing. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Now reading a psalm like this, and reading it in this way, hearing it and saying it over and over again, can either be really encouraging to you or if you are in this place where you feel very prone to cynicism and you feel like things are really, really hard, it can feel really hard. It can feel like saying that over and over again is is just embracing some sort of Christian sentimentality or just avoiding problems or stuffing them away and just saying it over and over again. Now that's not what I hope that this psalm will produce for us. That's not what this psalm embraces. Remember that this psalm falls within the context of the whole story of Scripture. One of the things that we've looked at throughout this psalm series is the story of God's people, right? The S and scale standing for story. And the story of God's people includes a whole lot of ups and downs, right? Like... It moves from creation, as we'll see, right into the Exodus story, right? Right into what God did in the Exodus. Now, it sort of glosses over the reality of there's a whole lot of suffering that happens for Israel before they get to that place, right? Generations waiting on the promise of God. Now, from the psalmist's perspective, God showed up. But it took a long time. And so this story of the ups and downs, the back and forth, this is why the Psalms and the worship of God's people has always included both praise, like this Psalm, and lament, like the Psalm that we looked at earlier that ends with, darkness is my only friend. If that's a place that you're at, it's okay to be there. And yet we still need to hear this Psalm and know that those two things are not opposed to one another, but can come together. This psalm, which includes thankfulness. That's the repeated theme throughout this psalm, is thankfulness to God. This repetition of His faithful love endures forever is in response to all of these places in which the psalmist is laying out the things that God has done and who He is, and He is thankful for it. He is thankful for God and his goodness. He is thankful for God and his creation and for God and his salvation. So we're going to look at those few things here together. I'm going to go back here. Go back up to the start of this section here. All right. So we're going to look at God and his goodness. First, thankfulness to God and his goodness first. In verses 1 through 4, it says, "Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He is the God of gods; he is the Lord of lords; he alone does mighty miracles." He is the psalmist begins by saying we need to remember who God is. We need to remember his character and his very being. Because so often when we are in the midst of trying to think of ways to be thankful, we look to the things that someone does for us, right? Like we thank people when they do things for us. But how often do we thank people for just being people? right? The psalmist begins by thanking God for just who He is. God, You are the God of gods. You in Your being are the Lord of lords. You are supreme in all the universe. You are the only one true God of the universe. He meditates on His being and on His character. He is good. Right? The psalmist starts by saying, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Everything else that follows has to start from this place of recognizing that God exists and that he is supreme, that he is sovereign over all things, and that he is good. That he is good. That he is really the definition of goodness. Any good thing comes only from the Lord. That he is sovereign. And that He alone does mighty miracles. And then He's going to start to explain some of these mighty miracles that He has done in creation and in salvation. But He alone is the One who does mighty miracles. Now, why do we need to be reminded of this? Well, it's because we forget it over and over and over again, right? We need to be reminded of this because so often what we do is we interpret God's character, we tend to view God's character through the lens of our circumstance. That the, the lens of our circumstance, whatever we're experiencing, that's how we view God's character, rather than, experience, uh, than viewing our circumstances through the lens of God's character. We need to reverse the way in which we view this, not view God's character through the lens of our circumstance and how we're experiencing the world but actually view how we're experiencing the world through the lens of God's good character. We need to be reminded that though there are times in our lives and certainly for Israel, right? Certainly there are so many places throughout the Old Testament in which Israel is in a very, very hard place. And then you need to view those circumstances through the lens of God's character, His goodness and we need to be reminded of that because so often our circumstances tell us the exact opposite. Yeah. They tell us and the world confirms for us all the time god really isn't good. Right? Right, this is what Job's friends do to Job, right? They show up and they're like, "Just curse god and die." Like, "Do you not I mean, you say that you believe in this good god, but do you look at your life, man? Where are you living?" What are you talking about? Look at your life. Yep. Sometimes that's how it feels in the world, doesn't it? it is. And that the way in which our response is urged is to say, yeah, you're right, actually. My circumstances are really hard and terrible. And therefore, God is not good. But this psalm encourages us to pause for a moment. To pause for a moment Again, this is not avoiding hard circumstances, but pause for a moment and remember God's good character. He is powerful and loving and sovereign. Okay, but but here's, here's the rub for me, Pastor. That's why I'm struggling to believe he's good because I know he's sovereign. I know he's loving. I know he's good but my circumstances don't show that. Why does my life look like this? Why does my life continue to feel like this? Well, certainly we live in a broken world in which things are not the way they are supposed to be. And actually, we have a good God who doesn't view things from afar but steps into our story. Now, I have no easy answers for why that is the way it is. The Scriptures don't really offer us any answers. Certainly not any easy answers for why that is the way it is. But the Scriptures are full of stories of hard things and and of God's goodness and miraculous working in the midst of those hard things. And so what if we... Rather than embrace the cynicism that comes naturally in that moment, what if we dared to hope? As Jeremiah tells us in Lamentations. Dared to hope and to dare to view our circumstances through God's character. Not glossing over the painful things that we've experienced or are experiencing, but entering into them and asking, what does this reveal about God? And might He... Reveal to us that He is weeping alongside us with injustice and pain and brokenness. And that He also might be working miracles through it. Because we, sitting here right now, are miracles of God's grace. You are a miracle of God's grace. You, with your story, who you are, where you came from, All of the things that surround who you are, the story of your creation, your brokenness, your sin, your pain, and your redemption, you being here, repeating over and over again that His steadfast love endures forever is a miracle. I mean, it certainly is in my life knowing my own story and my own sinfulness and my own tendencies to run from the Lord, we are miracles of God's grace. And that's why we need to hear this because the world, in the way it beats us up and encourages us to interpret these events, teaches our hearts to be cynical. And I need the cold water to the face that is God's Word reminding me to view my present in light of God. And not just God in the moment, but God for all eternity. His steadfast love endures how long? Forever. Meaning, if I'm going to interpret my circumstances and see God's goodness, I actually need to expand my perspective to the forever of God's goodness. And not just to my individual moment. Well, the psalmist goes on to thank God for His creation. For God and His creation. Give thanks to Him who made the heavens, who placed the earth among the waters. Give thanks to Him who made the heavenly lights, the sun to rule the day, and the moon and the stars to rule the night. God, through the psalmist, is telling us to be thankful for creation. Think about the way in which creation works and how this helps us counteract our cynical view of the world. Every day, the sun, the moon, and the stars work the way God designed them to work to bring praise and glory to His name and to provide for us. Uh, If you uh, remember, when I got back from sabbatical, one of the things that I wrestled through and that I think the Lord used during the sabbatical was uh, the time I spent in Malibu, which, you know, right? Okay. Okay. I can't talk about Malibu in February, in, or almost February. It's not February yet, but January uh, in Indiana, right? Uh, but when I was there in May, right, there was this thing called May Gray. And all day long, it was like this. It was gray outside, just like this. And it was like, why did I come here? I can get this in Indiana, guys. I came here to see the ocean. I can't even see the ocean. It's like right there, and I can't see it. But around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun, every day, would burn up all the fog. Over the course of an hour, I watched it happen, and it was the most miraculous thing I've ever seen. It was like, this is insane. It went from looking like this to like seeing what you think of when you think Malibu. In an hour. And it was this reminder that actually right now, The sun is shining exactly like that, just beyond these clouds. Actually, the sun doesn't actually change. It's shining just like that, right? It's one of the beauties of flying sometimes when you get above the clouds and you're like, wait a second, the sun is still here? Right? Or like when April comes in Muncie and you're like, wait a second, the sky is blue. It is not gray. Right? But every single day, the sun is like that. Every single year, the seasons end and the sun returns. So when the psalmist is calling us to view creation, what he's calling us to say is, I know that there are times where it is only gray, it is only raining, it is only terrible, and yet you need to know that the sun is still there. You need to remember that God is still the one who works miracles. You need to remember that God is still exactly who He says He is. Why does He do it like that? I don't know. But He does provide for us assurance in the way in which even the sun comes up every day that He will be faithful. He will be faithful. We... Are taught constantly to look inwardly towards our own issues. And what creation does is raises the picture for us to the grandeur of God and that maybe He's doing more than we see. And we can see that He is faithful. Well, He moves from creation to salvation, and maybe uh, if you're like me reading this text, you're like, this is abrupt. Thank God for the son and that he killed the firstborn. You're like, whoa, okay. Like, I mean, could we slowly transition there? Like, I mean, what are we doing here? Well, he's walking through the Exodus story, right? And we walked through this as a church. And so, this, this move to this is a remembrance of all the things that God did to rescue Israel from their deepest and darkest place. Slavery in Egypt. This is the place in which they were for 400 years. Right? They were there for a really long time waiting on the promises. So long, do you remember when we were in Exodus? So long were they waiting there that it says that the people began to become bitter against the promises of God. Moses shows up and he's like, God's going to deliver you. And they're like, yeah, we heard that one before. But, Yeah, my grandpa told me that, and then he died. And his grandpa told him that, and he died. And we're still waiting. Uh You see, what the psalmist is doing is connecting Israel to its story. And that story includes you. As we've been talking the last few weeks, right? That the church is the fulfillment of all that God's doing in and through the nation of Israel and the people of God throughout the Old Testament. So this story of the Exodus is your story. So when you're in the midst of the hard things of your life in this present moment, and you say, yeah, I heard that story before about God showing up. The psalmist says, yeah, but do you remember that story? Do you remember how he actually showed up? Because it was miraculous. He warned Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh didn't do anything. And then he warned him again. And he didn't do anything. And again. And then the Lord said, I will show the world what the gods of Egypt are like. And they are nothing. And He miraculously saves them. He miraculously moves them through this into the land. Into the place in which they go. Right, Not just does He free them from that, but then He strikes down mighty kings, powerful kings. He goes through all of these things and gives the land as the special possession to His servant Israel. And remember, all of those things are looking forward to the promise of the new heavens and new earth. That's our land, the place in which we are going, that God will secure for us. But, what does he say in the midst of this, right? He says uh, at at one point, uh, He led Israel safely through. Uh, Give thanks to Him who led His people through the wilderness. Well, that's a nice summary of a pretty terrible time for Israel, right? Led them through the wilderness. You know what that was like? They were like, no, 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 let's go back. Let's go back. I know you just delivered us, but we, we had meat there. I know we were slaves, but we at least had meat. It's like, guys, what are we doing here? The Lord has delivered you. And yet they still struggle against it. My point in saying that is, even in the midst of our experiencing of God's goodness in salvation, here is the church, right? We have far more to look at than just the exodus. Right? We have far more to look at because Jesus has come and delivered us from our greatest enemies of sin, Satan and death. He has done everything necessary for salvation. He has accomplished the greater exodus so that we could come into the land of the new heavens and new earth. And yet, we so often feel like we're in the wilderness and we say, yeah, I know You did that, Lord, but I'd like to go back to my sin. I, it was just better... When I was there, can I I, I just go back? Right? And yet, what does the Lord do? He's faithful to lead his people through the wilderness. He's faithful to lead them through gently, lovingly, correctingly. He is faithful to lead them through even the wilderness. See, cynicism is born from constantly looking to the ways we inhabit brokenness while forgetting the ways in which God is at work in the midst of our brokenness to redeem. Remembering the Exodus helps us remember to take the long view that God is slow. God is slow in accomplishing His promises and yet He promises to do it. Right? It's really easy for us To think, when we read the New Testament at times, right? Like, we'll we'll get to this when we're in 1 Corinthians, where Paul's like, you know, yeah, yeah, you asked about being married, but given the present circumstance that Jesus is coming back, maybe don't do that. And we're like, wait a second, that was 2,000 years ago, and we're still waiting. God, what are you doing? I thought this was happening quick, right? We're actually kind of in the same boat all the time, right? And we need to remember the exodus and remember to take the long view of God's work in the world. That God is good, that God is faithful, and that we can trust Him. Now, how does this thankfulness counter our cynical tendencies? Now, notice I didn't ask how thankfulness changes our circumstances. Right? This is not a change your attitude to change your circumstance, sort of name it, claim it stuff, or uh, will it into existence. If I just had a better mindset, my life wouldn't be hard. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. But the question is, how does thankfulness counter our cynical tendency and help us to genuinely worship in the midst of all of our circumstances? Well, it's exactly as we said earlier, That it does so through weekly, weekly worship. Regular and humble weakness in our worship. You see, continuous complaint creates a cynical heart. And weekly worship sustains a faithful heart. Regular rhythms of worship. And regular rhythms of embracing our own weakness in the midst of worship. Remember faithfulness is not primarily when I said that we were looking at a path that was not fighting or f- or fleeing but one of faithfulness it's not primarily a path of our faithfulness it's a, it's a primarily a path of his faithfulness our weakness You see, thankfulness to God, repeating this phrase over and over again, His faithful love endures forever, is not a sign of our being put together as a people. Like, God, look, we are bringing you praise and worship. No, oftentimes it is a place of struggling to believe that that is true. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Your faithful love endures forever. Because there's no other place to go It's the only thing I can repeat. It's not a sign of strength, but one of recognizing our own weakness. We are struggling. We are tired. We are confused. We are dismayed. But look, God is faithful. We may not know what He is up to in this individual moment, but we do know He's faithful in all moments. This weakness. Embracing our weakness, right? He that's what he says, right, in 23. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. Now, this word that we've been repeating over and over again, or this phrase, faithful love, endures forever. This faithful love is the Hebrew word Hesed, which means God's covenant-keeping love there's not really like every translation translates it slightly differently but it's always with multiple words because you cannot contain the meaning of this word in one word it's God's faithful covenant-keeping steadfast forever always and forever love right The, the way the Jesus storybook bible describes it is my favorite way of describing it God's never ending never giving up never breaking always and forever love I think it's pretty close to that Right? It's a phrase. That's how you have to understand this. Because it can't quite describe it in the word love. Covenant-keeping love. You know why you have covenant-keeping love? You have covenant-keeping love when one party breaks the covenant. Often. We have to have a God with covenant-keeping love because we so often are unfaithful to the covenant. Covenant-keeping love is taking on the curses we deserve to give the blessings that God Himself deserves. Entering into our brokenness to bring us near. It's a steadfast, never-changing love because as Hebrews says, God makes a covenant based on Himself. The way in which He makes this covenant is by saying, I will, I will agree to your part and my part, because I know you can't do it. That's why Jesus comes in our place. That's why it's so important not just that Jesus died on the cross to bear our punishment, but also that He lived a life of perfect obedience that's now credited to you if you look to Jesus by faith. That God is keeping both parts of this covenant. Remember when God made the promise to Abraham he puts Abraham to sleep, and in a dream, God lays out all these animals, right? And splits them in half, which is a covenant-making ceremony saying, if, if you don't obey the covenant, this is what I'm going to do to you, right? That's, a, that's pretty harsh, right? That's a pretty harsh world, right? So, lays it out. Does Abraham walk through? No, God walks through twice. He goes through twice, once for him and once for Abraham. I know that you're not going to keep it. So, when we say his steadfast love endures forever, that means nothing about our steadfastness, but everything about his steadfastness. Everything about his faithfulness, his goodness. Our circumstances may change, and they may not. They may not change, but the covenant love of our God never changes. We mistrust, we avoid, we sin. And yet He remains faithful. If we are to fill our hearts with a longing for His faithfulness, this is what in turn will sustain us in ways to remain faithful. We need a steady diet of true, faithful, regular, and honest worship. Praise of God and laments about the situations that we're in. Because we're going to get a steady diet. It's either going to be of remembering God's faithfulness or of complaint, contempt, and cynicism. But how do we know that God is love like this? Because Jesus is the chesed, covenant-keeping love of God. Because Jesus doesn't love us from afar. Because Jesus doesn't say, I am the God of gods, therefore you bring me praise and I stay up here. But Jesus is the God who comes down and loves us. You know, the, the contrast, right, in always bringing up the contrast of Israel and Egypt, uh, the contrast of any form of gods I, I've been reading through, uh, this, this may sound like an odd connection, it may not work, when I go off script sometimes it does, does not work, so just Fair warning. But I've been reading through the, the Percy Jackson series because recommendation from Tycho. Uh, and it's really, it's really, really good. But one of the things that's so shocking all the time is the way in which they describe the gods as just these horrible, fickle, terrible things. That's kind of how the ancient world worked, right? Don't get on the bad side of the gods. It will not go well for you. So often that's how we view God. When we think about God's faithfulness, We think he is fickle, he's mean-spirited, and he's just bringing hard things against me because he doesn't like me. That's not true. It's not true because it's not how he expresses himself. He says, actually, I see all of your pain. And I'm going to come. And I'm going to live among you. I'm going to experience all of that brokenness. Name anything in your life that you've experienced that's been brokenness and difficulty. Jesus knows it. Not from afar, but from near. He says, I'm actually going to come and I'm going to accomplish all these things because I want you. I don't want a bunch of worshipers just to do a thing so that I can get some praise. I love you. I want you you. I created you. I know you. I know your story, and I know things are hard, and yet I am the God who does miracles, and I want you. Let me love you. Just come near, and let me love you. So let's run to Him. As a people, in the midst of all of the things that we are experiencing, let's run to the covenant-keeping God. Let's come near to Him and see what He does. His faithful love endures forever. That's the only thing I know. I don't know how it'll work out in our individual lives, but I know His faithful love endures forever and He will one day bring us into the inheritance of the new heavens and new earth in which He will wipe away every single tear. He will right all wrongs. And He will reign forever as our God. And we will be His people. We're going to repeat this part of the psalm together. So let's stand together and repeat this so that we can hear it again. Starting in 23 to the end. Uh, Let's do the responsive again, okay? He remembered us in our weakness. He saved us from our enemies. He gives food to every living thing. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now declaring that your faithful love endures forever. Lord, we may not feel it or know it or experience it in this moment, and yet, Lord, we beg you to show up in mighty ways. Free us from cynicism and allow us to trust in your faithful love. And Jesus, would you be honored in it? Would you show up and help us to know you, just to know you? Jesus, do this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.